Father, we stand before you. We know something's up. We know that you're moving across the nations. You're reconciling people. You're drawing people. You're beckoning people to your love. But then, Lord, you're turning them around into the, to, to the harvest, to, the, to their neighbors, to their friends, for the sake of salvation. Father, help me shift in my mindset of what maybe church is. Help me shift my heart towards you. Lord, my heart's divided between this and that. But, Lord, my heart... It needs to be all for you. Say amen to that. So, Father, right now, anoint this message. I haven't got a lot of time, but I'll try and get through it to help, really, what we're talking about, and that's vision. We're talking about everyone consolidating their efforts, their time, their resource, their talent to the vision. One thing that you take to heaven is the consequence you had on mankind. One thing you take to heaven is... The, the, the impact that you had for Jesus to give glory to him of souls saved, people blessed, healed. And that is really the most satisfying thing that can be happening in your life, that you know you're connected to God's plans and purposes. You're in the crucible of his love, but you're being outworked to shed abroad his love in Jesus' name. So, Father, this morning, I pray that you would awaken me, shake me, take off the scales of my eyes, Lord, to see on the horizon of this great life that you have for me, Lord. Awaken me by your word, by your spirit, even as I abide in your house on this day, this day that you are appointed to me to be in, to live in, and to be here in. Lord, I bless every heart in this place in the powerful name of Jesus. I wonder if you could do, do me the favor, just keep standing. Before I go into just some, a little bit of teaching, I, I really want to prophetically say to you, uh, as a C3 Tugger Church, this, I see this, a strategic shift. It's happening, happening in the church. And it goes like this. Church is being beckoned to the more unified and one purpose aligned in one direction for the harvest of souls. This is vision. I just want you to grab this if you can. Just bear with me. Listen to the intention of these statements. Two, a deeper sense of community with a desire of personal investment of time, talent, and treasure. We've never seen people giving their time, their talent, their treasure, like, especially in the young people. In the young people. There's a youth conference in New Zealand. They raised $80,000 in the, in the love offering towards that whole endeavor. In the youth. I mean, it's amazing. Three, a vision to see growth and impact of their church and their gospel in the community. You can call it fruit or the harvest. For any believer or church leader who has eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, recognizes that the church throughout the world is experiencing a time of great change. Change is necessary. Now, this has got to be for someone. Change is necessary, not merely for change's sake, but for the ongoing fulfillment of the eternal purposes of God in and through their church. Can I just have that water? Thanks, Andrew. In the period of change, there are always times... Now, this, just grab this. In the period of change, there are always times of transition as things move from one state of affairs to another or from one stage to another. The caterpillar must move from the cocoon phase to become the butterfly God intended it to be. Otherwise, it will die in the cocoon. In the same way, individuals or churches must move through times of transition and change so that they don't die spiritually in their cocoon. Next, individuals and churches can fossilize. Mm, this is unfortunate, but it's so true. Individuals and churches can fossilize. One definition of a fossil 
is a living creature that failed to make the transition. Oh, some churches apostatize, some fossilize, like that, and some evangelize. It is a sad sight and grief to witness churches that have become spiritual fossils, never making God-ordained transition. And I want to declare it again. There is a strategic shift happening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the change. We're involved in it. Your hand is upon this house. Your light is shining to this house. And we thank you for that. Amen. God bless you guys. Give the Lord a hand too. Mm. I'm going to have to do something really quick now. And I just want to get maybe a little story, personal story of Julie and I, how we ended up in ministry. I want to, this is admonition. Admonition means like warning almost. There's a warning, but there's encouragement. Admonition, the word admonition means warning, encouragement. So it's a little bit like that. Uh, boy, it's, boy. It's a little bit of a hard pill, pill to swallow too. I'm not, you're in church now and you've never been here, but actually you're experiencing something totally new. This is, every service is different, isn't it? Every, long-term, is, is this a different service this morning? I feel God's in the house, firstly. I feel He wants to say something. And it's something that, especially long-term Christians, must take in. But then there's new, Christ, there's new seekers seeking after God, realizing there's something up, and they're trying to make sense of this world too. They're trying to make sense of the God world now. They're actually willing to have a look, and they may have stumbled in here this morning. Let's have a look at a scripture. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Once we get connected with God, call it being saved, born again, you are called to look at the future of your life. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. So you get saved, and people will be saved here this morning when I give an altar call. When you get saved, connected to God, supernaturally connected to God, then you can see on the horizon of your life. And God's got plans for you. So Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's a classic scripture. You should have it highlighted in your Bible, underlined. And it's a powerful scripture that you need to just give away all the time. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. What's captivity? Jeremiah, Scripture, this is a prophet by Jeremiah saying, people of God, you're in captivity in Babylon, but after 70 years, I announce it, after 70 years, you will be released into a future and a hope. You will be released into a lifestyle of supernatural breakthroughs, victories won, and you will reclaim your inheritance in God. Who's interested in, in inheriting their inheritance, claiming their inheritance? Man, for the beckoning. Gold doesn't come easily. You've got to dig it out, and that's your inheritance. You just don't find it usually in the street, although heaven is paved with gold, amen. But your, your will, I mean, God's will, plan for your life, is something that you've got to go at the coal face almost and dig out, and that's what we do through the Word of God. Now, this future and a hope. So I get saved. I'm, I'm now connected to God. Now what? Do I become religious? Do I just have this religious stuff that I've got to do and, and nothing much happens outside? No, God's got a plan for you. The Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest apostles of faith, was 48 years of age when he began to preach. He was a stuttering man. 
He was a plumber, a very robust, big, gruff plumbing man. And he used to stutter. His wife was Salvation Army preacher. He went to a, a, a meeting and got hit by God. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit and he, be, he came up speaking intelligibly. Just like Benny Hinn, who used to stutter. Who knows that? Benny Hinn had a stuttering problem. When the Holy Ghost got him, he became articulate, powerful, and officially he raised 17 people from the dead. Smith Wigglesworth, 30 overall, but 17 verified by doctors. And he went to 85 years of age. He was in a church. They were doing some sort of um, uh, occasion. He went up the vestibule. He went up this thing. And he got to the top and he just literally keeled over before he got to preach at 84 years of age. Wouldn't you love to do that? Uh, you know, ever thought where you'd like to die? That would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> anyway. God's plan for you. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Look, this preach in this church sounds fantastic. But are you saying that God can get me out of my box, out of captivity, and get me loosed into a vision to bless people, to, to see people blessed in the schools, in the community, in the, in, the, in, in the marketplace, which we are doing, by the way. You can be connected to that. <laughs> and so it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus. So it's for his glory that he's doing this stuff. C3 Tugger is here and it's giving glory to God. This building that people marvel at. I have workers and engineers that say, man, you guys got a, a big vision. This is fantastic. And this week, praise God, we have an engineer acting on our behalf towards council who's bought right into the vision, sees what we want to do, and it says, look, I, I can see what you're going to do. Hell, I, I will work with the council. I will work for your benefit. He's basically saying, I, I see the vision. I see the vision. I will help you. That is a powerful day for me. That release a big burden from me because I was starting to carry it. To Him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus. Yeah, glory to God was a... When they used to say that, that, that scripture there, and Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, that's actually part of a Jewish prayer. After every meal you would have as a Jew, you would say, and glory to God. May our day, may our life, may my children, may everything I do give glory to God. So everything we do, I thought that was powerful. Um, Friday, Matt and Fiona were married and we spilled out of the wedding, out of the church, the St. Matthew's stone, you know, glass stained windows. And who's, who knows the church I'm talking about? And we spilled out onto the, uh, the, 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 the thoroughfare there and cause, causeway and, and we, people gathered, cameras and tourists. And, and it was like, and this precious couple, Matthew and Fiona was like, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, and the bells were ringing. There was people gathered. And it gave glory to God. And Matt sent us a text message. And he said, didn't we give glory to God at the end of the day? So I'm so proud of you, Jill. So proud of our church. People turned up. Thank you for all the visitors that came. Amen. And one soul saved in the reception of the Yacht Club down at the water's edge at Manly. One soul saved. Posh lady. Uh, lived a lot of life asking a lot of questions, Julie um, obliged with the questions asked, and this lady just came to salvation, just like that, and cried her eyes out, and isn't that great? How many people did we reach this week, by the way? We had four Friday night, one uh, during the day Friday, four young, 
uh, your three, three, one uh, uh, during the day. And look, those cards, bring those cards to me again, a bundle of cards while I'm preaching this. I'm motoring along, I know, but my time is gone. Once we're released from captivity, once you're saved, connected to God, with the power of vision, say the power of vision, with the power of vision, that's the, listen, I prophesy, this is the only way we will get men. Put up your hand, men, all in the house, all the men in the house. This, this is great. This is fantastic. This is the only way we're going to see men connect to the church with strong vision. Because men are builders. They don't like dwelling just in the spirituality of things. They like to roll their sleeves up and say, well, what needs doing? That bus. Do you want me to change the wheel? Do you want me to drive it? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to hang some lights? Men are builders. And when you give them vision and vision that outworks God's plans, we're going to see men, more men, coming all the time. Businessmen are going to come to this house because they're going to say, what are you trying to do? Reach into the marketplace. You're blessing my, my, my friends, my colleagues out there, uh, preaching the gospel, businessmen's group meeting. And you're in the school. You're in the, in the government, opening up the council and prayer. You're doing all that. Here, take my money. That's when they will give. That's when business, and people do give like that into this church. They give because there's a vision and there's an outworking of God in the place. These cards, grab a bundle. They are for you to give away, remember, to give away. Be our guest. Give those. I gave three, four away in one day at Westfields. Easy peasy. Just say, hey, take that. Check us out. We're on the web and God bless you. Simple as that. They're at the back of the church. Now let's look at this. When we're saved, we turn our eyes from every idol, sin, self. We turn our eyes to Jesus. Amen. Jesus becomes Lord of our life, our whole life, and we submit everything to Him, every issue, everything. We're, we're not just, this is not just a mental ascension to God. This is just not an, an emotional outworking, but all our life, every issue, every circumstance, every bit of time, talent, treasure, all our relationships, my wife, my family, usually is needing at some time in the process to be given to God. The Bible says in Joshua as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what I mean? That's a powerful scripture. As for me and my Lord, we will serve the house. We will love the house. But here comes the next issue. And it's derived from the great commandment, this, this, this reasoning. We must deal with, and it's a big, it's an affront to our Western world and our selfish lives. The next thing when Jesus said, when you get your eyes on me, then I want your eyes towards your neighbor. I want you to love them, encourage them, feel for them, show compassion for them. I want you to see them, who they are, where they are, how they are. No, I don't want to worry about them. i got Jesus. I'm right. Who cares about them? Always doing crazy stuff and watering my dog when it barks and wouldn't give me a cup of sugar when I went and but there's something supernaturally happens when you get saved. His love in you starts to give you supernatural ability to love people, people that you don't even want to talk to or love. It's a crazy thing. It's unfortunately one of the, the things about being a Christian. You will begin to love people that you don't even want to know about. Who's with me on that one? Who's experienced it? 
So all of a sudden, your eyes are towards your neighbor. You care for them. You're, you're remorseful for them. You love them. Empathy, compassion, kindness, long-suffering, patience, forgiveness, and encouragement. And it can be done. Now, as you got your eyes on Jesus, then your neighbor, then you can look at yourself. Because the scripture says in the great commandment, Matthew 22, verse 37, Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Jesus, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you can see there, it's very explicit. Love God, love your neighbor. Then you can love yourself. Who loves himself? That's fantastic. Some people get a bit funny and coy and, oh, I don't love myself. You know, we used to get teased for that at school. Oh, you love yourself. You know, I used to have long hair, you know. Oh, you love yourself, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Who else is going to love, love me until <laughs> I find my true love? <laughs> Certainly not you, obviously. The Bible says in Matthew 6.24, now I'm really pushing in because my, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Usually the scripture is usually used for money, but I want to use it in some other regard. I want to say that there can be other idols in your life. How about this scripture? Okay, I'm going to drop a bomb here right now. Bob Dylan, too, he sang a song called You've Got to Serve Somebody. In 1980, he had a song, went through a gospel period, released three albums, and he sang a song called You've Got to Serve Somebody. Maybe the devil, maybe the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. So there's always a top priority of what you serve. There's got to be true distinction, true focus, true priority of your love intention. We call that worship. This morning we worship God. I wasn't looking to my wife and worshiping her, or my children worshiping them, or my watch worshiping my watch. <laughs> Love eBay, Lord. Love it. Got to serve somebody. What about this one? Now, this is going to drop a real clang. Real clang. Matthew 10, 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is the words of Jesus, by the way. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And we can see some of that happening in the natural but he's not talking about the natural. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. All of a sudden, you get saved and your, your sister, your brother, you're an idiot. You become a born again. Ah, oh, you're crazy, you know. Get over it. Matthew 10, 37 says, next scripture, anyone who loves his father, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's going to be bring me to a point probably where I can only get a little bit of this story in. And it's about this. When Julie and I were called into ministry um, in 94, say 95, we'd already been in church from 85. One of the huge trophies that I had, one of the huge good works that I had, in my life was that I was providing for my family, protecting my family, blessing my family, building my home, going to work, doing all the overtime, pulling in all the money I could for my family. Our kids were trophies. Our kids were the best kids. Everyone used to say about our kids, wow, your kids are fantastic. 
Look how pretty they are. Look how beautiful they are. Oh, they're so well behaved. They just sit in church. Mum had this amazing ability for, for our kids just to abide in church and just abide in church for hours sometimes and, and just be there. And, and people would say to us, your children are so brilliant, so wonderful. And so our kids were like trophies. There was four of them now uh, with my youngest. But then God called us and said, I want you in ministry. Oh, hang on, hang on. So now I've got to ditch my job and, and negotiate the ministry to become a man of God, to be really, truly distinct, uh, defined in, in definition of who I am, what I'm called to, to be a voice, to lead people to the throne room, to save souls, all that. That's what a minister is. And one of the key things that I was really, was really flogging me in, in, inside was my kids. Because I knew presenting my kids on the front line of ministry, I was going to r run the risk of my kids being abused and I would lose that ability. I guess I would lose something of the ability to protect them, preserve them. And, and, and this was all, a, a, you know what I'm saying? This was all a battle in me. And my kids were my, my, were my extreme, what is it? Extreme sacrifice. My kids were, were I, would sac I, would swim a, I would swim a river, I would climb a mountain, I would run 10Ks, I would go to work all day for the extreme sacrifice of my kids. My kids were everything. And I thought that was pleasing to God. But then God says, would you be like Abraham? Would you walk your kids up as a, as a sacrifice? Uh, you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Hang on. Hang on, God. Now, we we'll leave them down the mountain. You take me up. No, you take your whole family up. Oh, this was hard. But the Bible says in that scripture, I've come to cause sometimes even division of even some people that are close to you. A division of maybe you would lift them up, your wife up. Maybe you would lift your children up higher than me. And, and you're saying you want to serve me, but you're lifting your children up higher than me. Your heart is divided. Oh, that really grieved me. And it, it, look, Frank Houston pointed me out. Everyone knows the Bishop Frank Houston of the ARG Church. That's how Hillsong is there. That's how most of the great churches in Australia is because of one man called Frank Houston. And he pointed me out. He said, son, Isaiah... Uh, 54 verse 13, God will teach your children and great will be their peace. Take your hands off them. Stop being overbearing. Stop being overprotective. You've done a great job, but trust me to look after your children. Trust me that when you give them to ministry, when you bring them to church, when you give them to the mission of my cause, that I will protect them. I will preserve them. I will provide for them. I will do that. You sure, God? You sure? And that's the struggle a man has because it's innately in a man to do that, to preserve, to protect and provide. That's why sometimes men struggle in these areas. So God said to me, your good works of bringing up your family is not going to get them saved. Some people have been so overbearing and so... With it's like, hey, it's cool. I've got them too. And in that, they become insecure a little bit. 
And it can happen to the best of families because the world's not like it used to be, amen? My mum used to let me walk up the shop miles away and come back when I was five or six. Now, it's like, it's a kid. Even, even your best friends can cause sometimes you to be divided in your heart or even your own children to be divided in your heart. And that is a situation. It can be, it can be your father, your mother, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. That's what the scripture says. It can even be even your own baby. Loving my children became my good works. I was proud of it. But John 3.3 3 said in, 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 in reply, Jesus declared to this religious man who was a great Pharisee, and he said, your good works, Jesus said, your good works and all that you know about religion is not going to get you saved. You must be born again. You must be born again. It was like Jesus was saying to me, all that you do, Phil, all that you've provided, the house that you've built, the great backyard, the good food that you give, Jules, and all the love and the care, that's all good. But if it divides me from, if it divides me from you and even your children now, that could be a problem. Is anyone tracking with me? And so we had to almost demote our children into the priority, the right sort of setting. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when people said, your kids are great, your kids are beautiful, we said, glory to God, not glory to me. A couple of scriptures just to nail it. 1 Corinthians 7.35, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in an undivided devotion to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 11, that's a powerful scripture, Andrew. 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. But the scripture says in Romans 4, 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. When he put God first, took his own son up that mountain, Isaac, and said, God, if you want Isaac, now God wouldn't do this now, but in the Old Testament, it's a mystery why he would do such a thing sacrifice his son but God was wanting him to get his heart undivided do you know what I'm saying because the nation of Israel and us in our salvation father Abraham the father of many nations he was paying the extreme sacrifice for all us the nation of Israel and us I had to pay the extreme sacrifice of walking my children up the mountain and God saying there that didn't hurt now trust me now trust me, I will provide for them. I will protect them. Even, even to the extent of all this stuff that's going to come at us because we're going to rally a people to a mission, to a vision of a local church, I will preserve them in the crucible of my love, not the crucible of your total care welfare. See, the man, he wants to care for them. He wants to care for his kids. I will look after them. I will care for them. I, and if you keep... If you keep them in the crucible of your welfare and your care, you're locking God right out. Do you know what I'm saying? But if you can trust God and say, God, you gave this little one to me. You gave my children to me. I trust you that I can enjoy life, worship you, serve you. 
Do what all you've called me to do with my loved ones, with me. Because as for me and my household, we serve the living God. Who knows I'm speaking the right thing? Babies are fantastic. But the novelty of babies and the extreme gift of the glory within them should never surpass the glory of God. Is that okay to say? Did I get away with that? Is that cool? Once you lift anyone up, your mother-in-law, now I don't know who would do that, but uh, if you lift your father, some people worship their father. Some people would worship... Once you start lifting anyone up like that, you have a divided heart. And I don't care if it's through, through your children, your wife, your loved one, your brother, your sister, your auntie. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring that sort of peace. I came to bring a sword to cause you to know where your true intentions of your true love are in Jesus' name. Let's all stand, God bless you. Father, in this house this morning, in this house, Lord, there's people that feel like their heart's divided. Lord, they've experienced God. They've felt God. And the purpose of church, when you get to that place, listen to me, the purpose of church, when you've got your heart undivided between God, is this. Number one, can I just have that quickly? I'm going to nail this, just these last three points. But I want you to just look at this. Once you've got Jesus Christ, Lord of your life, once you've got your eyes towards Him, your eyes towards your neighbor, and then to yourself. This is what church becomes. Number one, we, we minister to God. This has to do with our relationship with God, which we develop through prayer, worship, and reading His Word. We've done that. That's the number one priority. The number one priority. If anything is usurping that, you've got to question it. If eBay is usurping that, if a newborn baby is usurping that, if your mother-in-law is usurping that, you need to take that to task. Number two, this is what church is. Church becomes like this, to minister to one another. We did that brilliantly this morning. Saw your people getting around to your neighbor. This has to do with our relationship with other Christians, other fellow uh, people, which is expressed through love, fellowship, and serving God. It's about love, guys. Once you've got those two dealt with, number three happens consequently. Then the harvest, then the vision can be subscribed to, to minister to the world. You will never buy into the vision of this church. You will never buy into the harvest of souls. You will never buy into your high calling and your ministry. If you don't put your eyes on Jesus, if you don't put your eyes towards your neighbor, and then eventually you minister out. This is the one thing, by the way, you cannot do in heaven. The first one you can, you can worship God in heaven. The second one, we can just do exactly what we did this morning in heaven, when we all go to heaven. Amen? You cannot do this in heaven. You cannot do this in heaven. And you are here on this earth, breathing in air by reason of this, to minister to the world. This has to do with our relationship with those that do not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are here. Your money means that. Your air that you breathe means that. Your smile means that. Your ministry, your calling is all about this, which you cannot do in heaven. The first two you can true perspective of church right there. Father, there's people that have experienced you. Just close our eyes for a moment. There's people who have just come alive to the revelation of who they are and what church is. And God wants to include you, friend. He doesn't want you out on the back paddocks of life. 
doesn't want you like the prodigal son spent up and in this situation of feeling down and out and he wants to call you back he's calling you back right now do you know it's as simple as this the free gift of salvation is as simple as this it's an acknowledgement of God the Father Jesus Christ as Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit if you can acknowledge that you can be saved connected to God born again however you want to say it but from that moment God will energize you empower you and love you